Jesus Christ had a triumphant entry on that last week of him coming into Jerusalem, that place that he would be crucified, that he would go to the cross and die a martyr's death, die like two others, like a thief on the cross. But he did it for a divine purpose. And we understand that Jesus was not defeated. He was not torn down. He said, don't weep for me. Weep for your sons and daughters. But that he is a great high king. And so he entered Jerusalem in victory. And it's so important that we were, we're reminded of that and we understand that. So I'd like to spend some time this morning uh, answering a question that all of us at one point of time has, has had. And that it's so important that everyone in the world would be able to answer this question rightly and then respond according to the question. And the question is, is he Christ? Is he Christ? Now I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke, the 23rd chapter, verse 35. Luke 23, verse 35. As this is the backdrop of our sermon today and next Sunday on Easter Sunday, you know, as we see and understand this perplexing time uh, in the life of this world, in the life of humanity, of answering the question, and if he is Christ, what's going to be our response? And so in Luke, the 23rd chapter, verse 35, it says this, And the people stood looking on, and this is the day that Christ was put on the cross and that he was being crucified for all of mankind, and they were looking upon Christ on the cross. And it goes on to say, but even the rulers with them snared, saying he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And so the goal today is to give evidence to this very question, is he Christ? It's not an unreasonable question to ask. I think we've all been there and we've all asked that question. And many today are still pondering that very same thought, a question. We even see as we look back during the time of Jesus coming into the earth that John the Baptist, even John the Baptist, who saw Jesus from a distance, and he cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the earth. Even he questioned. In Luke, the seventh chapter, verse 21, And John said these words as he was in prison, as he was suffering, as he was going through things. He questioned in his mind, and he asked his disciples to go and ask. And the scriptures tell those that he said, So John called two of his disciples and sent them to ask the Lord, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we look for someone else? Should we look for another Maybe you have pondered that as well, that you've had doubt, you've had questions, you've pondered in your mind, is he really? Can he really? 
save me to the uttermost? Can he deliver me from this snare, from this sin? As the ruler spoke, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself if you be the Christ? So I believe there are several compelling pieces of evidence centered around this very day that we are remembering and celebrating today on Palm Sunday that gives us hope, gives us truth, gives us peace. So let's go on a journey of discovery together. We remember that we spoke of this word Christ, and that word Christ, the title itself means the anointed one, the chosen one. And the reference of an anointed king or priest that has been anointed and chosen for a physical or spiritual leadership to lead others, to gather them together. And so we gather that the ruler that made the statement in Luke 23, he knew a little bit about scripture. He knew a little bit about Christ. And so he made these, he said these words, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God, the anointed one. Additionally, Christ is derived from the Greek word Christos, which translates the Hebrew word Messiah, which embodies the Jewish hope of a coming deliverer, that he would deliver, that he would set free, that he would bring us from captivity, and who the Son is set free is free indeed. And so Jesus was called Jesus Christ by his followers who believed he was the one who fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies and would deliver God's people. So with this thought in mind, we can examine the account of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. The week before his crucifixion, for the Feast of the Tabernacles, and the divine plan of God to set the captives free. And so let's take a moment and look at this triumphal entry that's found in every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we're going to look at John, the 12th chapter. We're going to look at the book of John's account of this triumphant entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And if you would turn with me to chapter 12, verse 12 through 15, we'll read this account. It says, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, that's what I'm going to say for the rest of the day, set thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, 
thy king cometh sitting on a donkey's coat. And so I'd like to share three points from the backdrop of this triumphant entry that speaks to he is Christ. The way God brings, and so just let me talk about how God brings or establishes truth to all of mankind because we serve it an intentional God. He wants us to know truth. The Bible reminds us, it says, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free or set you free. And so in the telling of this, of the convincing of truth, what God tends to do through scripture, as we see, is that he will say what will happen. And primarily through a prophet, he will bring that message to us. And before it happens, which is called the foretelling or prophecy, we hear these words from God. And then he makes it happen. See, it's kind of like when we're talking with someone and someone tells us that they're going to do something and they don't end up doing it. We start losing our faith and confidence in their trustworthiness. God's not, the Bible says he's not like a man that he should lie. If he says he's going to do something, he'll do it. And so it's a convincing argument that what God says is true. And so there are, there are a few happenings in this Jesus triumphant entry into Jerusalem that are rich in symbolism and prophecy that helps to answer this question, is he Christ? So let's take a look at him a little bit. As you heard the story of the triumphant entry that Jesus came in and they laid palm trees down and they said, Hosanna, Blessed is the king of Israel. This very act is a representation that Jesus is the choice vine from the tribe of Judah. And so I'd ask you to turn with me to the book of Genesis 49 where we can see the foretelling of this. That Joe, Jacob spoke. Jacob, as he was entering his last few days of life, as he was about to go and pass away, and in the Hebrew tradition, uh, a father would bring his sons to him, and he would prophesy to them or speak to them, and then he would bestow a blessing on them. It's just like for us a will today, that he would give over to them through this blessing the things that he had. And so Jacob brings his sons together that would be the, the tribes of Israel to prophesy over them and to give them a blessing before his passing. And so in Genesis, the 49th chapter, verse 1 through 2, he begins this way. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel, your father. 
he's about to speak into their life. He's about to foretell some things. He's about to prophesy to them. But there's a little note there. It says, you sons of Jacob. See, he's speaking about I'm your natural father. There's a natural life that your mother and I have given you. But he tells them to hearken, listen deeply. Listen clearly unto Israel, your father. To that spiritual word that God wants you to hear. That yes, you have a natural, but you've been created to be spiritual. And so when he comes to his son, as he's going through each of his sons, he comes to his son Judah, the lineage from which Christ would come. Let's hear what he says to his son Judah in Genesis 49, verse 8. He says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. See, at this moment, Judah's future is being changed. He is receiving a king's blessing. There's anointing coming over not just him, but his entire lineage, his entire tribe. Jacob was prophesying to him the coming of Christ through the lineage of Judah. And it wouldn't come overnight. It wouldn't come next year. It wouldn't come in a decade, in a century. That would be 1,200 plus years before this would come to fruition. But God used Jacob to speak that word. And maybe you, like I, have gone through things in your life and you've had plans and you've noticed how those plans you know, didn't always come out the way you thought they would come out. And so our plans tend to fall many times by the wayside. But God's plans never fail. And so we can see that when we've trusted God and when God has said something to us over and over again, he brings it about. That the Bible will remind us that it's important to let that patient work have his work. And so he speaks these words to Judah, and Judah goes and, of course, lives his life and has his family. And over and over again, there were times where the enemy wanted to destroy, to kill, steal, and destroy. We even see it all the way into the time that Jesus is being born, that King Herod goes out and massacres many children just to stop this from happening. That the tribe of Judah, the king, would not come. And so verse 8 reminds us that the Christ would come from the tribe of Judah. And in verse 11, he would do something very amazing. 
read with me from Genesis 49, verse 11. It says, binding his foal unto the vine and his donkey's coat unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. See, this is still what Jacob is prophesying over his son Judah. He gives this very account to him. See, that word binding means to tie. That he'll tie his foal unto the vine. And his donkey's coat into the choice vine. See, Jesus said it himself in John 15, verse 4 through 6. He said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And Jacob prophesied of that very account that the true vine, the choice vine, would be binded to the coat to the donkey and Jesus would be that vine I am the vine you are the branches that brings me to this very next point Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey Jesus sends two of his disciples to bring him a coat to bring him a young donkey that he that had never been written by anyone. Even so, the scriptures say that it's disciples went, and if they say something to you about taking the donkey, tell them the Lord have need of it. And so they spoke those very words. They obeyed the commands of Jesus. And they fulfill the prophetic word that began with Jacob. See, to the Jews who were longing for the Messiah and constantly studying every messianic prophecy, the never written coat would hold great significance. Especially for the two unnamed disciples that were on the Lord's errand. That they went, they gathered a coat, and just maybe they said, wait a minute, I've seen this before. This was prophesied of the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. See, by riding this coat into Jerusalem, Jesus was presenting himself as the promised Messiah who they had been waiting for, as prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. See what Zechariah says in, nine, in chapter 9, verse 9. He says, Rejoice greatly, 
O daughter of Zion, shout. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, this gives us account here, saints of God, that Jesus deliberately planned his entry into Jerusalem after King Solomon's royal entry into Jerusalem. See, this has, been happen- this has happened before. King Solomon came into Jerusalem on a mule. And just as David, just as Solomon, and now Jesus represented the anointed, the chosen, the ordained king of God. From the Mount of Olives and on the king's mule, which was spoken in 1 Kings, by riding in on a donkey amidst the shouts of praise and jubilation of the people, Jesus was proclaiming to all of Israel, he is the king of Judah. A prophesied heir to the throne from Jacob to Judah, through the lineage of David, Solomon, Jesus. See, this act represented he is the rightful king. It also represented him coming on a donkey, that he did not come to make war but to bring peace. So this needed to be cleared up. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey represented and proclaimed he came in peace as opposed to the Rome's grand display of power and might with horse-joined carriages. Jesus came in, the humble Savior of the world, with might and power, was sitting on a donkey. See, he did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. See, that's what we need. See, Zechariah made these statements in chapter 9. He said, he is just. See, for Christ to be just, it means that he is consistent. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It means he's virtuous. He's holy. He's good. It means he's innocent. You don't have to worry about Jesus thinking the wrong thing, responding the wrong way, and it means he's right. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And Zechariah went on to say, having salvation, and he's lowly means he's humble. 
he humbled himself, made of himself no reputation. He's meek. And he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. See, this really meant something beautiful. That Jesus would come this way. See, the disciples themselves didn't even understand it. As we look in John, the 12th chapter, verse 16, after we've seen this account of this triumphant entry, it says, and John pens these words, These things understood not his disciples at first. Maybe they were saying to themselves, he's going to do what? He's going to come in on a donkey? That doesn't make any sense. He's going to allow himself in a few days to be beaten, bludgeoned, crucified. Beat unrecognizably, mercilessly. I don't understand it. He's the king. He goes on to say, but when Jesus was glorified, when he got up out of the grave, when he touched heaven's door, Then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. See, he came back to their remembrance. He is humble. He is meek. He is patient and just. And he is the rightful king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. There is none like my Jesus. He is able when we're unable. He's stronger than any mighty army. He's a way maker. And he was willing to humble himself, make of himself no reputation, and come in the form of a servant riding on a donkey. And the people couldn't help but praise him, for they knew who he was. And this reminds me of a time in 2004. I'm about, I'm a, I get up one morning. I'm standing in the middle of Iraq. This is the day that we are about to cross the DMZ and go into Iraq during the very first wave of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Being reminded that we serve in this nation that's considered 
probably the greatest nation in the world, and having a world-class army. I'm serving in the 4th Infantry Division, which is called the Mechanized Infantry Division. And I'm sitting in my vehicle as the commander of our convoy that's about to enter into Iraq. And I remember it being pitch dark. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And I'm looking, the only thing I can see is a glimmer of the Constantine wire that's covering the wall that's protecting us. And I have behind me about 115 vehicles and several men and women ready to deploy. And as I'm sitting in that vehicle, this whisper comes into my mind and into my heart. And that whisper was, you're not enough. And I can feel a little bit of fright. You're not able. And as I'm sitting in that vehicle and we're only minutes from crossing over, I feel a presence that reminds me, but he is. And we start that journey. All the men and women have been up for at least 20 hours, getting ready to go, getting ready. Hurry up and wait. Everyone's tired and weary. And we start this journey in the pitch of night. And in a combat maneuver, you can't turn your lights on like we ride. Everybody's riding in darkness. And you can just see the illumination from the moon to kind of help guide you. We ride for hours and I'm watching vehicles do this, swerving from people falling asleep. And so much so, about four hours into the journey, one of our vehicles smash into the other, totally disabling, crushing that vehicle, and we have to leave that vehicle on the side of the road, weapons drawn, not knowing what's out there. We take that all the stuff off that vehicle, and we, when we come back, that vehicle is totally stripped to the bone. But we continue the journey, and I'm reminded that he is enough. The sun starts cresting over, and you start seeing the illumination of the sun of the morning. And in the distance, I'm looking, and I see this one figure far in the distance. And I remind my folks to stay alert. 
And as we get closer and closer to this figure, I see that it's a lone individual. And as we get closer, I'm able to make out and this Arab young man dressed in white sitting on a donkey. And I gasp my breath and say, God, you are so good. Well, I'm weak. You're strong. Well, I'm unable. You're more than able. For he is the Christ, the son of the living God. See, Jesus wants to enter into every aspect of our life. He wants to remind us that he is the anointed one, that he's the son of God, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that we can trust in him. We can depend upon his unchanging hand. And so let me share just one more anecdote of, of God doing what he said he would do. Do you remember the account of Jesus cleansing the temple? And I know some of you are like, oh, that's my favorite one there, Pastor. <laughs> when Jesus cut up, he got loose on some folks. Even though in their mind they may have been thinking, man, it's a feast, a golden opportunity to make some money. Look with me in Matthew 21, verse 12 through 15. Matthew 21 says this, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tabernacle of the money changers and the seats of those who sow pigeons. This is after the triumphal entry. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. You know, Jacob even started prophesying some of these accounts to his son Judah. Look with me in Genesis 49, verse 9 through 10. He says, Judah is a lion's whip. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. See, the devil's always seeking whom he can devour. The Bible says he goes around 
like a roaring lion. He goes on to say, and as an old lion who shall rouse, who shall wake up from sleep. See, Jesus whipped the lion. He poked the bear. And look what verse 10 reminds us. As Judah was being prophesied over all these things. He says in verse 10, the sceptre, a rod or staff that symbolized the authority, shall not depart from Judah. The authority of God. The plans and purposes of God. The peace of God shall not depart from Judah. Nor a lawmaker from between his feet. Until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. See, we don't have an exact definition for the Hebrew meaning of the word Shiloh. Uh, that's unclear as we look through theology. But we do know it was the central sanctuary for all of Israel. This is the place that they would come all of Israel before the first tabernacle was built in Jerusalem this would be the central place of worship the main place where the people would gather together and sometimes Shiloh is translated as the messianic title that means he who it is he who it is Well, let me put it this way. He who it belongs to. It belongs to God. The sanctuary. The temple. Not man. See, this particular verse and this prophetic word that we see in Genesis actually speaks of Shiloh as a person. So I believe it's speaking and it's saying of the personhood of God. That's the central sanctuary. That's where we go. The righteous run into him and they are safe. So what we see here happening with Jesus is that he is saying God is still Shiloh. He's still the central sanctuary. He's still who we worship. He is God. And you will not make his house a den of thieves. Run to him. Go to him. Jesus has come to make the way to cleanse, cleanse the temple. To help us to be able to go to the very throne of God. To have a relationship with him that abides in him because the king of kings has set us free. Has cleansed us. Because we have faith in him. Now if you don't have faith in him, if you haven't trusted in him, 
I'm going to just make it plain. Your sanctuary is still dirty. It's still unkept. It cannot go before the presence of God. And so what does all this mean? They took palm trees. They went forth to meet him. And they cried out, Hosanna. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Our eyes have seen, our ears have heard. We know that you are the Messiah. And so they cried out, save us. We can't save ourselves. Deliver us, we can't deliver ourselves. That they've finally been convinced that he is Christ. And they didn't wait. They didn't debate it in their mind. They ran out, they threw their clothes down, they grabbed palm tree branches, they laid them before him and said, you are the anointed one, you are the chosen one. Now I see, and I repent of myself, and I bow down before you. Hosanna, save me please. Come, whether it's in the midnight hour, whether it's in the middle of a desert country, Maybe I need to just see a little boy riding a donkey to be reminded that he is Christ. And it would cause me to give him praise. How about you? Would you praise him? Would you trust him? Would you bow down before him and acknowledge that he is?